0: ourselves again in chapter 6 this morning. And uh, just a reminder that last week we, we marveled at the providence of God that we are in chapter 6 while we're in missions month uh, because chapter 6 really Jesus is laying out some important things that we need to know if we're going to be living on mission for him. And last week we saw in verses 1 through 6 that Jesus went and took the gospel to his hometown And so should we, that the gospel, our witness for the gospel starts with our next door neighbors. We looked at the issue of unbelief being an obstacle in Christ's mission. But this morning, we see that Jesus is going to send his disciples out and learn some principles about what it means to live on mission for him. So let me read this text for us. Uh, We're going to cover verses 7 through 13 this morning of chapter 6. Let me read this. He called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there. Until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Father, as we look at these verses, we pray that the Holy Spirit. Uh, would be our teacher. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, out of curiosity, how many of you have ever been on a short-term missions trip by a show of hands? Short-term missions trip? Okay, good, good. Now, keep your hands raised if you have been on a short-term missions trip that was led by Grace Church in particular. Okay. Uh, Many of you need to go to the meeting this afternoon at 1215 to learn some of the opportunities we have on hand. I ask the question because today our text really shows Jesus sending his disciples out on what we would call a short-term missions trip. He's sending them out for a particular time to go and make the gospel known. Uh, The Bible is very clear that Christianity is a personal faith, but it is never a private faith. True Christians are those who have a desire to spread their personal faith publicly. We want unbelieving people to hear the gospel and to believe. That's why one of our core vo- values here at Grace is God's glory, our focus. We want to see God be glorified where he is not yet being glorified. And where do we see God's glory most lacking than in people who aren't yet worshiping him? We want people to begin to worship Jesus. And so we go on mission for him. But it can sometimes feel like our missional efforts are a losing game. Uh, We look at the results and the results may be lacking. We may be discouraged by the little fruit that we see. But in this text, Jesus is really our example of dogged perseverance and commitment to his mission. Remember last week, he went to his hometown and he was rejected. But what do we find him doing in verse 6? Take a look at verse 6, the second half. What does he do in the face of rejection? He went about among the villages teaching. He just keeps on keeping on. He has a mission given to him from his father, and no amount of setbacks, no amount of rejections are going to discourage him or slow him down. He will see his mission through to the end. And one way that he was going to accomplish his mission. And one way that he still accomplishes his mission today is by sending out his disciples to be on mission themselves. Really, when we look at verses 7 through 13, it's a classic case of monkey see, monkey do. Uh, And the disciples up to this point have sort of acted like a bunch of monkeys, as we've seen in our past study. Um, But what Jesus has done is he has brought them along all the way through the journey, showing them, here is what it looks like to live on mission. Now, you go, you go and do likewise. You go out and do what I have been doing. And we may think, we might be surprised that he would think that they're ready for this kind of trip. I mean, up to this point, they have not shown amazing faith in Jesus. They've not shown amazing understanding and comprehension of his teaching. They've even opposed him a few times. And yet, these are the folks that he is going to use to send out on mission. If he can use them, he can use us. He can use us. Now, when we look at these verses, we are looking at a unique set of instructions for a specific circumstance and time. These are instructions given to his apostolic disciples. And many of the things that he did with them are not things that today he would do with us. None of us could say that we have an apostolic ministry in the same sense as the disciples did. But what these verses do have for us is abiding principles for mission that are relevant for the church throughout all time, abiding principles of Jesus' plan of what it looks like to live on mission. And the first thing that we see is Jesus' missional plan, Jesus' missional plan. I want us to take a look at verse 7, and there are three words that are important in verse 7 that I want to draw our attention to. In verse 7, note the words called, send, and authority. This was Jesus' plan of how he was going to accomplish his mission through his disciples. He called them to himself, he sent them out, and he empowered them, gave them authority to be able to do the mission that he was calling them to. And the same plan that he had for his disciples here is the same plan that he has for us today in accomplishing the Great Commission. He does the same exact process, and the first step... Is that Jesus calls us to himself. And when you read the New Testament, it describes believers very often as those who have been called. The call of the gospel goes out, and we respond to the call of the gospel in faith to belong, to believe in Jesus, and to belong to him. And it's so crucial that we get the order correct, Because we cannot claim to be sent by Jesus unless we first have responded to the call to belong to Jesus. How often have we seen televangelists or politicians who claim to be doing God's work, and yet it's clear from their life, from their testimony, from the fruit and evidence that they've never actually responded to Jesus. The first step is we need to respond to him. It's the basic pattern of discipleship, isn't it? He calls us to come and know him, and then and only then does he send us out to make him known. He summons us, and then he sends us. But notice, Jesus does not send out his disciples alone. Take a look again at verse 7, and began to send them out two by two, two by two. No Christian is to be a lone ranger. The Great Commission has always been a teamwork effort. When you read Paul's letters, you you will see all sorts of mentions of different partners that he has in the ministry that he names by name. He kept them close to himself. He relied on them. He, He utilized them in a big way in his ministry, even though Paul himself was arguably the greatest apostle that ever lived who probably could have done the work alone if he wanted to. And yet he saw the need to be uh, with the other saints on mission. How helpful it would have been for these disciples to have each other on the way. They would have been able to encourage one another, to pray for one another, balance out one another's weaknesses. uh, Maybe even correct one another and challenge one another. It's a teamwork effort. If we are going to be living on mission for Christ, we need to have the fellowship of the saints. We need to be in fellowship with one another. Just like uh, it's no good for a team to have bench warmers, it's no good for a church to have pew warmers. Uh, Folks who just come in, sit down, get a little encouragement from the word, sing a couple songs, go and leave, and you never see them again throughout the rest of the week. What avenues are you taking, all the ministries that are on offer here at Grace, to get to know your brothers and sisters in Christ, to build meaningful relationships with them so that they can encourage you, you can encourage them, and we can partner together in the mission that Christ is calling us to. But thirdly, Jesus empowers his disciples. Again, in verse 7, he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Another translation could be, he gave them power over the unclean spirits. The power that would help them be successful in the mission did not come from them themselves or their own ability or their own know-how. We know their track record. Uh, left to themselves, they would be like a whole lot like you and me, making a mess of things on their on their journey. But the glory and the promise was that Jesus would give them the power needed to be successful in their mission. Now, this is a unique apostolic authority and power that Jesus is giving the disciples here, one that we do not share today, but we are promised power from Christ, aren't we? That's why we read in our scripture reading from Acts 1.8, Jesus, before he ascended, he told his church, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what will happen when that takes place? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. He empowers us so that we may be his witnesses. All of our dependence is on the power that Christ alone gives us, all of our success comes only from him. And that is why I never tire of saying, Grace Church, if that is true, if we are not reliant upon ourselves and our own abilities and know-how, we need to be a church that prays together. We need to be asking God to bless our efforts, bless our ministry, bless us with the power of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to come on out. Uh, to our prayer meeting that happens every fourth Sunday of the month. This, we just had one last week. Uh, there was about 20 of us there. Guys, it was, it was the best prayer meeting we have yet had, I think. There was about 20 of us. Normally, we only pray for about 45 minutes. I think we went about an hour and a half. And what we did... Uh, last Sunday, we, we all just got together and each and every person there just shared a name of a loved one or a friend who, who needs to come to know the Lord. And we got to pray for like 30 different names and just put them before the Lord, pray that we would have wisdom and boldness to know how to share with them. That's the sort of thing that we need to be doing as a church do you pray through the missions guide that we hand out every uh, Wednesday in our e-prayer? Uh, if you don't have our e-prayer, I encourage you to sign up for that. Every single day, there is a missionary to be praying for. Today's missionary, uh, missionaries are Paul and Louise Cloueter. We're praying a blessing upon their mission in France. We need to be a people who rely upon the power of God through prayer. So first, we see Christ's plan for mission. He calls us. He sends us. He empowers us. And secondly, Christ shows us uh, missional packing that Jesus will providentially provide for his disciples. In verse 8, Jesus gives the packing list for the missions trip. Uh, I remember when I was in youth group and we would go on missions trip, our youth pastor used to give us a very detailed packing list of things that we should bring and things that we should not bring. And oftentimes, every time, the things that we should bring far outweighed the, the few things that we should not bring with us. But here in verse 8, it's the opposite. The things that Jesus did not want them to bring far outweigh the things that they were supposed to bring. Now let's take a look at it. Verse 8, what were they not supposed to bring with them? Uh, he said, Take nothing for, for their journey. Uh, no bread, don't bring any food. No bag, don't want you bringing any suitcase, no luggage. No money in their belts. Leave the wallet, leave the credit card at home. So what were they allowed to bring? Well, you can bring a staff. And verse 9, you can wear some sandals. And you can not put on two tunics, but you are allowed to have one outfit that you wear for the duration of the missions trip. Anyone want to sign up? <laughs> you're allowed a walking stick. You can have some shoes and wear something breathable because you're going to be on the move. Imagine... Imagine you showed up to a mission trip. You're about to leave. We're going to send you off to the airport, and you come with your suitcase. And we just say, "Oh, we'll take that." We throw it in the dumpster, and then say, "Okay, off you go, off you go." I don't think you'd be very happy going on that mission trip. What is Jesus doing here? What is He trying to teach them? Jesus wanted the disciples to be in complete dependence on the providential provision that God would give them every step of the journey. He wanted them to believe and have faith that God will provide. He wanted them to walk by faith and not by sight. So much so that in verse 10, in verse 10 he says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. In other words, wherever you, wherever you end up setting down and making base, Accept the hospitality that's there, no matter how good or how bad it is. Don't go looking for greener, brighter pastors. Just stay put. God will provide for all your needs. What about us? Jesus wants us to live on mission in complete dependence on the provision that he will provide. He wants us to depend on him, not on our stuff. I did some research this week and I was shocked to, to, to find out that um, the average American income, the, the median income for Americans is roughly about $70,000. And if you fall within that realm of money, you represent the top 4% of the entire world's wealth. Top 4%, not just of the nation. Of the entire world. So you look at that spinny thing that has the world printed on it that you'd spin around. The, the globe. <laughs> and uh, see, so, so you have a very bright senior pastor, let me tell you. <laughs> but you look at that. And, and if, if just by living here in America, you are filthy rich compared to the whole rest of the world. Now, we have to be clear, there's nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with wealth. Wealth and possessions are gifts from God. But all too often, isn't it the case that instead of those gifts leading us into further dependence on God, they actually lead us away from depending on God? We are warned in 1 Timothy 6... When Paul writes to Timothy saying, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. What are we to do with our wealth? They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share The more we dull our dependence on God by our possessions, by our wealth, the more that happens, the more we will dull our urgency in seeing unbelieving people live in dependence on God as well. Because if our lives just look like everyone else's lives and we're doing pretty good and they're doing pretty good, what's the urgency in sharing the gospel? The disciples would have had great missional impact simply by their example of dependence. People would have looked at them and said, you guys don't have anything with you? Well, no. Jesus told us not to bring anything. You guys are crazy. Why would you do that? Well, because, because we believe that Jesus is going to provide all along the way. We're told again in 1 Timothy 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world if we have food and clothing. With these, we will be content. In our Christian pilgrimage, in this world, we pack light. We pack light. We do so because we want to be as freed up as possible to either give or go. To give to the mission of Christ or to go wherever he would send us. And in order to do that, we have to pack light. We have to pack light. Well, the missional plan, the missional packing, and then thirdly, the missional purpose. Uh, Jesus tells the disciples to do something very, very strange in verse 11. Um, In verse 11, take a note of it. He says, if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. What the Jews used to do when they would go into Gentile towns or Gentile areas, uh, when they were leaving those areas, they would um, make sure everyone was looking at them, and as they were leaving, they would take their shoe and they'd just wipe off the dust. And in the Jewish context, unfortunately, it was, it was a sign of their self-righteousness. We're the clean ones. You're the filthy ones. We're the chosen ones, and you are the ones who are not chosen. Jesus wants them to redeem what this uh, common Jewish practice was by doing this in every area that was rejecting the gospel, not out of a sense of self-righteousness, but as a testimony of God's righteousness. This shaking the dust off of their feet would be a prophetic sign of the seriousness of rejecting the gospel. Jesus wanted the disciples to prioritize in their mission, above all else, the glory of God, above the approval and opinion of man. It may seem like a rude thing for Jesus to want the disciples to do, but it would have been a striking statement to all who rejected the message of the gospel, that the disciples were concerned about God's honor and God's glory, and they were also concerned about the welfare of the souls of those who are rejecting his message. Friends, it's so important when we think about our mission as a church, that we always esteem God's glory higher than we think about our concern for people. That may sound striking, but think about if you flip the order around And our first concern is about helping people, and a secondary concern is about glorifying God. Then, when people do not want to listen to the word of God, then we'll throw God's glory away in order just to help people. But if we have God's glory as the supreme focus, we truly can help people by pointing them to the God who made them and the God who can save them. We should never be cavalier about people's rejection of the gospel or accidentally insinuate that sin is is no big deal. Uh, Think about if if you were, if, if your doctor knew that you had a disease that was going to kill you, that was very treatable, but out of his nervousness to tell you that something was wrong with you, Or, you know, just because he wanted to seem like a nice guy and not give you bad news, he never told you about this disease. Would you feel loved? Or would you feel betrayed? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by an open statement of the truth, telling people the truth. Clearly, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscious, conscience in the sight of God. To truly love people, we need to talk to them and be honest with them about their danger of sin, the danger of sin. We need to tell people lovingly, gently, never rudely, never in a condemning way, but with clarity and concern. We need to be telling people sin destroys our lives. Sin keeps us from a spiritual relationship with God. Sin keeps us from eternal life in heaven. And if we are going to be clear about these things, it requires that we actually open our mouth and proclaim the message. Take a look at verse 12. Verse 12, what did the disciples do? They went out and proclaimed that people should repent. The note of repentance was on their lips. It's interesting, in Luke's gospel, when he talks about this uh, and talks about what the disciples did when they went, he says they went out and preached the gospel. So what, 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 are we, uh, what are we to understand? Proclaiming repentance and preaching the gospel are one and the same thing. To preach the gospel without talking about repentance is to not preach the gospel. The seriousness of sin is what makes the good news good news. I love Carl Truman's uh, quote in one of his books uh, talking about getting evangelism right. He says this. He says, To the one who has been told that he is under the damning wrath of God because of his failure to fulfill God's law, grace comes as a serious thing with serious consequences. And he receives it with joy and gladness and revels in his subsequent freedom, a freedom shaped at a deep level by his understanding of God's holiness. But to the one who has not been told that he is first of all damned in God's sight because God is holy and he is filthy, grace breeds presumption and a lack of a concern for a truly Christian response. If that's too heady of a quote, how about this one from Thomas Watson? Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Now, we have to understand, when, when we are sharing the gospel in our day, we are starting at ground zero. Uh, in our day, we can no longer assume that people have even the basics of the gospel message in their mind know about it or understand it. I'm, I'm continually amazed at people that I get to engage with, either in the office or, or out when I'm about, um, how little people actually understand even the basic way of salvation. In our day, we are actually having to relay the very foundation of what it means uh, to, to believe in the gospel. If we are going to be those who proclaim the message of repentance and preach the gospel, there are some things that we need to be absolutely clear about in our message. What does faithful evangelism require? Three things, I think. Number one, when we are evangelizing, we need to tell people who Jesus is, who Jesus is. We're at the point today where we actually need to explain to people who this Jesus is. Uh, Jesus, we need to tell people, really existed he was a real man, but he was more than a man. He is God. He is the Son of God, and he is the Lord and Savior of all. That is who Jesus is. Number two, whoops, well, number two we need to tell people what he came to do, what he came to do. Uh, he didn't just come to preach uh, about how you can live a good life. He didn't just come to, to show an example of love and peace and unity to all mankind. He had a particular mission. And his mission consists of his life, death, and resurrection. So we need to tell people clearly. First of all, Jesus came to live a perfect life. He came to live a perfect life so that his perfect track record could be credited to us. Secondly, he died. He died on the cross so that... Our sins would be placed upon him in his death. And when he died on the cross, he was paying the debt that we owe to God for sin. He was taking our sins upon himself to cancel them out. And then thirdly, we need to talk about his resurrection, that he rose again from the dead in order that we too might have the hope of rising from the dead in eternal life as well and that we might experience newness of life through him. And then thirdly, we have to tell people why it matters. We have to be crystal clear it matters because we're sinners it matters because we have defied god it matters because we remain condemned in our sin unless what christ has done for us is applied to our lives and then we need to tell people how to apply it all jesus asks is that we trust what he has done on through his life, death, and resurrection. That we trust that it is sufficient for our salvation. We don't bring any good works into it. We don't uh, have to, to hope that somehow we live a good enough life that he'll accept us. Salvation is by faith because God is gracious. That's the message that we need to be clear on. You can't just go around telling people, well, God really loves you, it is a great plan for your life, or invite the Lord Jesus into your heart. What do those things mean? We live in a day where we need to be absolutely clear about what the way of salvation is. To help us with this, I think a great book is Honest Evangelism by Rico Tice. We read this as a men's ministry um, sometime. And it was very good. It's this is an and listen if you're not a reader, look how thin this book is. You can do this. You can do this. It's uh. Well, I won't tell you how many pages this. It it's a good book. Uh, what he does, he, it, the, the subtitle is, How to Talk About Jesus Even When It's Tough. He doesn't give you a programmatic kind of evangelism. He helps you know how to share Jesus in a way that just opens doors in the middle of normal conversations with people. To make talking about Jesus and the gospel just a normal part of who we are. Um, there's a, a QR code up there if you're interested in getting this book that will take you right to a link of Amazon uh, helping you to get that book and uh, we, we encourage it to you. But lastly in this text, the missional pain line. They went out, and so should we. In verse 12, they went out, proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Uh, how nerve-wracking must this have been for the disciples? Here they go, they, they've got nothing with them, they don't really know where they're going, Uh, They know this isn't going to be easy, but they went. They went, and they opened up their mouths. They spoke the message of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They crossed the pain line. Rico Tice talks about our need to cross the pain line. That moment in the conversation where you're like, I know I should talk about Jesus. I know I should talk about Jesus. I know, I should talk about Jesus. And then you finally cross the pain line. You open the door and off you go. They cross the pain line. And what happened as a result? Surely they were rejected in some places. But in verse 13, they also experienced great success at the Lord's hands. Verse 13, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Or to apply it to our day using Acts 2.47. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Friends, are we willing to cross the pain line? Uh, To close, I just want to read from Rico Tice's book here. He says this in closing. If you live in the West, you live in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity. That's just how it is. In the UK, he's British, I think we're pretty much at the point where to hold Christian values and to speak Christian truth is to get hated. In the U.S., it seems like that's where it's heading as well. And elsewhere in the world, it's far, far worse. The level of persecution we risk when we talk about Christ is nothing compared to what our brothers and sisters around the world face simply for following Christ. But this is only half of the story. I put it first because it's the half that usually gets hidden or missed out altogether. Evangelism does hurt. You do risk your reputation and relationships if you're going to talk about Jesus. There is increasing hostility to the gospel message. But there's something else going on too. There is also increased hunger the same rising tide of secularism and materialism that rejects truth claims and is offended by absolute moral standards is proving to be an empty and hollow way to live and that means that excitingly you're more and more likely to find people quietly hungering for the content of the gospel even as our culture teaches them to be hostile towards it he goes on he says have you ever tried to talk about jesus and felt weak, scared, like your legs were made out of jelly, and a message that sticks in your mouth and sounds halting even as it leaves your lips, you're in good company. That's what Paul the Apostle felt. It would have been the easiest thing in the world for Paul not to cross the pain line, not to stand up and talk about Jesus, not to risk the rejection and mockery. But instead, he said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you. Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He crossed the pain line. He talked about Jesus. And what happened? A church began. Unless you cross the pain line, you don't know what response you will meet with. Friends, let's cross the pain line. We will face rejection. But the promise is that Jesus has those out there for whom he has paid the penalty of sin. And we have the promise that the proclamation of the gospel will not return empty. There are those out there whom God will still call to himself. But we are his witnesses. We start next door and we're available to take it even to the ends of the earth. Time to cross the pain line. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you have a plan to bring all your people to yourself. Uh, we're thankful that um, you are a God who wants to use us <laughs> just as we are, um, as crazy and scared and unskilled and timid as we are. Uh, you empower us so that we have everything we need to be your witnesses so God help us stick with the plan uh, that we would respond to your call and belong to you and then that you would send us out and empower us help us to pack light in this life so that we might be as free as possible to give to your mission or to go wherever you would send us to be your witnesses And Lord, keep the purpose clear in our minds. We're doing this because we want to glorify you. We want to see you get the glory where you are not yet getting the glory. We want people who are lost to be saved. Uh, We want the gospel to be clear so that they can respond and receive salvation. So Lord, help us. We are so timid. We don't want to cross the pain line. Help us to cross the pain line and to go, to be those people who proclaim repentance, who preach the gospel. We give ourselves to you. Uh, We ask that we would see so much fruit. God, we we pray for big things. We pray that our church would be such evangelists and that there would be so much fruit through our evangelism by the Holy Spirit that we wouldn't know what to do with the amount of people coming through these doors on a Sunday morning. We pray that. Uh, We want to believe that you have great things in store for us as a church family if we would walk in obedience to the Great Commission. So use us, and we pray that we um, we would even have opportunities this week. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.